0: Having joy. Because I get into those seasons, and I talked about that a little bit, where I was struggling to find the joy in the things that I used to find joy in. And, and so I had to sort of come back and revisit this idea of Christian joy. because. Because the the Christian life, I mean, maybe this is normal for you. Maybe you just, you know, maybe you came to Christ and you were filled with the joy of the Lord and then, and then you're like the Von Trapp family of Christians and you just go from mountaintop to mountaintop, right? You never go into the valley. You're just, you're just singing as you go over the meadow on the top of the mountain and, and, uh, you know, from sound of music. That was the Von Trapp reference. Sorry to leave you there. But, you know, you're just, you're just going from, from mountaintop to mountaintop and you're never in the valley. Maybe that's your normal Christian experience, but, as I look historically uh, at the church and, uh, and at, at Christians, that's not really normally the way that it goes. I mean, if you look at the normal Christian experience, your experience has probably been more like, like maybe Franklin Graham's or like Francis Schaeffer's or like George Whitfield's or like Jonathan Edwards or like Luther's or Augustine's or Tertullian's or Justin's or John's or Peter's or Paul's or Jeremiah's or Isaiah or David's or Gideon's or Moses's or Job's. I mean, how far back do you want to go? Right, The normal Christian experience is we don't necessarily go from mountaintop to mountaintop. We hit those valleys, right? All through the normal experience of living in this world under this curse and dealing with the reality of the flesh that we're not yet set free of is we have to deal with the the reality that even though God is our joy and His pleasure is in our joy as Christians, we don't always live up to that expectation. We don't always take hold of that thing that is ours. And so the reality of, of, of the Christian experience is, is that you, you can believe that God is your joy but not be feeling it all the time. And so today I just wanted to look back and, and just get some, some roots and some, some grounding in where do we go then if that's not our normal Christian experience right now? Because the reality of the Christian experience is that we do have broken relationships, right? And we do have children that are wandering away from the faith or they're getting themselves into trouble and we're feeling sorrow over that. Or we have broken relationships in the church and and we're not seeing eye to eye with somebody and and so we're really struggling to find our joy in ministry or we're struggling to find our joy in our relationships with those people and, and we're trying to and we're just not there yet, or or there's things going on in our family with illness, or there's financial situations going on, and, and, and we're in those situations, and we're in those circumstances, and we're really wondering, where's our joy gone, and, and where are we going to get it back? And it's great that God is a happy God, and that His plan is for our joy, and He takes joy in that, but we're just not feeling it right now. And so this this morning is a study on a psalm, And what I really want to look at is how, as Christians, do we find that joy again? What's the starting point? Where do we go as Christians to recover that joy And when we're not feeling it? What are we supposed to do? And so if you open your Bibles, if you have your Bibles with us, we're going to look at Psalm 43. The Psalms are always a great place to go when you're looking for joy, right? So... That's, the, that's your first practical application right now. If you're struggling to find joy, start reading psalms. You can just start reading any of them. The psalms are a good place to go to start finding joy. But this morning I'm going to look at Psalm 43 because among so many of the different psalms that are there that are great for us to encourage us, Psalm 43 is a prayer of desperation. It's a prayer of a man of, of deep and meaningful faith. This is a, a Christian man or a man who's following God uh, in the psalms who is not experiencing the joy of god but he wants to he wants to experience that joy and so he's in the midst of this common christian experience of where we want to be filled with the joy of god but we're just not feeling it and so psalm 43 then at the beginning there is this man who's looking for the joy of god and he wants to recover that joy again and so i want to learn from him i want to learn from this man who's 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 Psalm is recorded here, and his prayer is recorded here for us in Scripture for us to learn from of where we can go to to recover our joy. So Psalm 43 starts like this: "Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people; from the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy?" Send out your light and your truth and let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And so the first few verses of that psalm set the stage for the man's situation and the condition of his soul and and why I'm going here today for us to look at how we recover our joy. Because in verse 1 he says this, he says, Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people from the deceitful and unjust man. Deliver me. It's his situation that he starts with. This is the situation, in uh, he's feeling threatened and oppressed. Whoever his enemies are or whatever they're doing, we're not told. This may be a song about David. If you see the previous psalms, they tend to be psalms about David. So this is a psalm perhaps about David. But whoever they are, whatever they're doing, this is not uncommon. It's a normal Christian experience that we're feeling oppressed. And so what whatever the enemy of joy is in your life, whether it's, again, whether it's sickness or whether it's finances, whether it's relationships, whether it's just where you're at, the situation that you're in is is you're feeling oppressed. You're feeling uh, there are enemies to your joy in your life, and and you are in this situation where you don't feel uh, the joy that you should be feeling as a child of God. So that's the situation. And then in verse two, he talks about his soul. It's a soul divided. He's this is what's going. He sort of opens up a window and shows what's going on inside of him while this man is feeling this way. This psalmist he says, you are. The God in whom I take refuge. But then he says, Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about in mourning? And so part of his soul is taking refuge in God. He says, You know, that God is right there with him, and he says, You're the God in whom I take refuge. And at the same time, at at the exact same time as he says that, part of his heart is questioning where God is. He says, Why have why have you rejected me? You know, I'm, I'm looking around. God, you're the God that I take hope in. But I'm looking around, and it doesn't. It seems like all these things, all these enemies of my joy, are around me. I I see the broken relationships. I see the financial trouble. I I, I feel the turmoil in my soul that is bothering me day and night. I see all of that stuff. You're the God I take refuge in. But but why have you rejected me? Where are you? It seems like you're not around. It seems like my depression is going to win. It seems like you know my marriage is going to fail. It seems like my kids are going to stray from you. It seems like I am going to lose my job. It it seems like I don't have any reason for for joy. I come for refuge. I'm in mourning. I'm oppressed. But why is my soul this way? I'm taking refuge in you, but it seems like I'm rejected. And I've been there. And if you've lived long enough as a Christian, you've been there, right? Where it feels like you're on the bottom of the pile and you just wonder how many more people are going to pile on top right? Football season started, you know, those poor running backs, you know, the quarterback sees everybody coming at him, hands off the ball, you take it, (laughs) right? And that guy goes charging into the fray. He's like, yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to get there, right? And then he runs into like a 350-pound defensive lineman, and he falls on him, and then the tackle falls on him, and the guard falls on him, right? Devin knows what I'm talking about. He's been there. And you're on the bottom of the pile, and they don't stop until the whistle goes, Right, And that's what it feels like sometimes. You're on the bottom of the pile, and you're not hearing the whistle, and there's just more 300-pound guys piling on. And you're wondering where God is. You're you're, you're looking for the refuge, but he's not there. Because it feels like the marriage is going to fail. It feels like you're not going to get the job. It feels like you're not going to be made whole. It feels like these things... And you start to wonder where God is, and why does it feel like this, whether I'm in this fight all by myself, and why is it weeks later? Why is it months later, and these things still aren't fixed? Isn't God supposed to be protecting me, or aren't I supposed to at least feel like I'm protected? Isn't there supposed to be joy? Or maybe the enemy is yourself, and you get to that point where it's just your faith seems dry and dead, and you don't even know what happened to it. You just woke up one day, and and you just realize that you weren't all that joyful in God anymore. It's like you, you remember that time when there was just joy in your heart all the time about being a Christian, but your faith just seems really flat, right? It's just one of those days. It's kind of the, the day like today in your soul, right? And you don't know what happened to the joy, but it's just gone. And the fight with your flesh and the fight with temptation has just worn you down. And you feel like you're losing, right? In Mark t- Mark uh, 9, there's the man who came to Jesus to heal his son. Clearly he believed or he wouldn't have come to Jesus, right? But what does he say when Jesus asks if he believes? He says, I, I believe, but help my unbelief. And, and some days we're there, right? Like, yeah, we believe, but... Man, help my unbelief, because it just seems to be gone. I'm, I'm here, Jesus. I, I wouldn't be here unless I believed, but I don't feel like I believe. You know, or even Paul in Romans 7, he says, For I do not the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing, right? You have those days, right? It's like, a, I, I, I want to do good. I, I want to be on your team. I, w- I want to do this, God, but I just feel like I can't. And that's a divided soul, and that's where this psalmist is at. As he, as he begins his prayer, he says, It's dark. I can't see. I haven't thrown my faith away. This guy hasn't thrown his faith away. He's still talking to God. He's still praying. He's still saying the right words. He's saying, you're the God that I take refuge in. But it just seems like you're not here. It seems like I'm the only one keeping the relationship going. Where are you? He needs deliverance from his enemies. He needs needs rescue from the lack of his joy. And it's not wrong to pray for deliverance from enemies. That's what they did in Acts 4, right? Right? When they got together in the room after Jesus was gone, he said, Consider the threats of our enemies and grant that we can speak in confidence. So it's it's good that we pray for deliverance. It's not bad to pray from deliverance of our circumstances. Right? He starts out talking about his circumstances. And it's good. We we can start there. We can ask God to deal with our circumstances. That's not wrong. You know. But that's just the beginning. That's sort of our natural response. And it's good to start there. It's okay to start there. But anybody can pray that prayer, right? Anybody can pray for their circumstances to be changed, right? To to say to God or, you know, whatever, the karmic universe, to just say, I would be happier, I would have joy if I was delivered from my enemies. If my circumstances were different, if I was in happier circumstances, then I would be a happier person, I would have more joy. But it doesn't take a Christian to pray that way. A Buddhist will pray that way, you know? Uh, a Baha'i will pray that way. Any, anybody in difficult circumstances will ask the universe to give them better circumstances so that they can feel more joy. That, any, anybody would ask that. But only a Christian goes where this man goes. Because he only talks about his circumstances in verse 1. And then his prayer starts to shift. And Buddhists won't pray like this guy prays, right? Other people won't pray the way this guy pray, prays. His prayer goes a different direction for his joy than his circumstances. He asks God to lead him not out of trouble, he doesn't pray for more joyful circumstances as he continues in his prayer, but rather he prays to lead him into the light towards God, and only Christians pray that way. And he tells himself to hope in God, and only Christians pray to themselves and to God that way. And we have to learn from this prayer where to go for the real foundation of our joy, because it's not... In getting rid of his enemies, and it's not in changing our circumstances. The answer in this prayer is that we lead ourselves and our soul back to God. Look at what he says in verse three. He says, Send your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God my God. It's an amazing prayer. This is the prayer of a man who must have a deep knowledge of God. Okay, understand this. This is probably David. And his understanding of God and his doctrine and his knowledge of God and the glory of God and how God works is really good. He knows God. He knows the temple and he knows the altar. This is a man who has had a deep, long relationship with God. And the first thing that's important to note is that even this type of man can experience this discouragement. Right Here's the psalmist who's who's writing at least one chapter out of the Bible. This is a man who knows God, and even this man falls into discouragement and despair. And so that's an encouragement to us. right? When we're in those seasons and we think that we can't find our joy, we should at least take comfort that even a guy who's writing part of the Bible falls into these circumstances, that he has seasons like this. And so don't beat yourself up, even guys who really understand God and who go through, va- go through valleys. In reading the Bible, I would say, especially people who really know God go through valleys, right? I mean, all of those people that I mentioned at the beginning were all people who went through valleys. And that's hopeful to me. Even a man who knows the altar, who has worshipped with God at his temple, can speak so passionately about his joy in God. That type of man or woman can find themselves a long way from God and in the dark and wondering where the light has gone and where the joy has gone. And secondly, this is important too, in his maturity and in his understanding as a man of God, the knowledge that he has of God is that where he turns to then, if we're to follow him in his answer to his joy, and where he turns to to fix his problem is that he turns to God. He knows that that's where his answer is. Right, So if you're a young Christian or you're maybe a little bit of a casual Christian and you're not sure what the big deal is about reading your Bible a lot and and knowing God better and spending time in prayer every day, this is the big deal. Because when these seasons come, you need all that time in the Bible. And you need all that time in prayer. And you need all those weeks in Bible study with your friends to get you through these seasons. So if you're a young Christian or you're kind of a casual Christian, you're saying, I don't get the big deal. You know, Why do I have to go on a Wednesday night and study the Bible? Or why do I have to spend all this time reading the Bible? Or why are doctrines so important? Why is Paul always talking about all these different aspects of God and why I should know them? Because when this season comes, you're going to be so glad you know those things. Because this is a guy who, who knows God. This is, this is a guy who has a long, I think, very mature, solid relationship with God, and he's in this season where he doesn't know where the light of God is, and he thinks God has abandoned him. And what he has to turn to is his deep knowledge of God, and that it's in God that he turns to for his joy. And so let me encourage you to don't scoff at the spiritual disciplines. To don't just think, well, I found Jesus, and that's it, I'm set for life. I don't, I don't really need to learn anymore, because you know Jesus has just got me, and I'm okay. Because these seasons are going to come. And you're going to be glad that you have that deep understanding of who God is from studying His Word and being in prayer and being in Bible studies and in groups with other men and other women who are teaching you the mysteries of God. Grow deeper in God every day so you're ready for these seasons where the joy seems to disappear. And if you're in one of these seasons right now and you're not finding your way out too quickly, let me suggest that maybe that's why. Maybe you're stuck in this joyless season for a long time because you really don't know how to get out of it. Because you haven't spent that time training ahead of time in God's Word and in prayer and in Bible studies to be able to have the depth that this man has to be able to find your way out. And so if you're in that season right now, now is the time to go in deeper into God's Word and deeper into prayer and deeper into the fellowship of Christian community to learn more about God and understand His truth and make them real, apprehend them in your heart. But let me move on from that. Notice that the enemies and the suffering in the world that he started out with are now forgotten in his prayer. He doesn't go back to them. He's not talking about his enemies anymore. The circumstances are not the issue of his joy, he realizes. Suffering is not the issue. What is your exceeding joy? What is his exceeding joy? That's the real issue. And it's your enemies or your circumstances are not the real issue when it comes to your joy. This guy knows what it is. What does this guy know about God and about joy? He says, send out your light and your truth in verse 3. He's in the dark and he needs light and he needs truth to lead him out and he can't see God and he can't see the way out and so he pleads to God for light and for understanding and for truth. He doesn't plead for his circumstances to change. He says, I need your light. I need your truth. And Jesus says in John eight twelve, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This man knows that his joy is dependent on him having his mind and his soul illuminated with the reality of who God is. And he knows that God is truth and light. And we know that God is truth and light, but we just don't feel it all the time. We know there's peace and forgiveness and grace, but we don't feel it. Objectively, we know it, but subjectively, we don't feel it. We're not experiencing it. And so we need to go to God and ask Him to illuminate our soul again and illuminate our minds again. And we need to look into the Word of God to see the truth and the light of who God is to get us out of that darkness. Paul says the same thing to the church in Ephesus. He says in Ephesians 1.18, he says, May the eyes of your hearts be enlightened that you may know the hope to which He has called you. We have to have the eyes of our hearts enlightened. We have to go to God in our sorrow and say, God, just shed some light because I'm in the dark right now. I need the light of your truth which I find in the Word and in Jesus. And if I have that light, then I'll start to come out of the darkness. And so secondly, he says, this guidance, this light, this truth would bring him to the holy place, the holy hill, in the second half of verse 3, the dwelling place of God, so that he can go to the altar of God. This man of God, who's in this state of darkness and despair, even though he seeks refuge in God, he knows where he needs to be. He needs to be at the altar, because what happens at the altar Sacrifice happens at the altar. right? This is Old Testament, remember. And so, This is an Old Testament guy under the Old Covenant dealing with his relationship with God and he knows where he's supposed to be. He's supposed to be at the temple. He's supposed to be in the presence of God. But specifically he says, I'm supposed to be at the altar because sacrifice happens at the altar. The bull is cut. The blood is thrown. The hands of the priest go on the head of the bull. There's atonement made for the sin of the nation and this man, and forgiveness is given at the altar over and over and over again in the Old Testament, millions upon millions upon millions, and I'm not excuse me, exaggerating, millions upon millions upon millions of animals slain at the altar to atone for the sin of the people so that they could enter into the presence of God. He knows he needs to be in the presence of God, and so he's got to go to the altar, and he's got to have that blood covering him to have that atonement, At the altar, that's where he's going to go into the presence of God. But we're not in the Old Testament. We know on this side of the cross, what's the altar? What's our altar? It is the cross. Because it's not millions and millions and millions of animals anymore. It's one sacrifice. One blood sacrifice. The Son of God. That allows us to go into the presence of God. And so this man knows where he needs to be. Do we know where we need to be when we're in this state? That we need to have the light of the Word in our lives. That we have to have God shed light and that we need to get into His Word to have that light. And then we need to be at the cross. We need to be at our altar. We need to be at the cross understanding that it's only at the cross that we're going to have the presence of God. Hebrews 13 says, the writer of Hebrews says to the Christians on the other side of the cross, he's speaking to us now, he says, we have an altar. Isn't that amazing? So this guy in Psalm 43 is talking about having to go to the altar. And now we have this writer of Hebrews on the other side of the cross saying, we have an altar from which whose minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. Pharisees and the Levites, they don't don't get to come to this altar. This is a different altar. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. That's where we need to go. That's our altar. We need to go to the altar that this writer of Hebrews speaks of. We need to go outside the city gate to the cross on Golgotha, where Jesus is there to bring us into the presence of God. And that's where this psalmist wants to go. He wants to go there. He wants to be at the altar where the blood is, where the forgiveness is, where the justification is, where the sanctification is, and also look, the concluding, where the joy is. Look what he says next. He's going to go to God. He's going to go to the altar so that he can go into the presence of God, his exceeding joy, verse 4. The final goal of the Christian life is God himself experiencing God as our joy. God is this man's joy. It's his joy. God's joy is in us, but we're not experiencing it. Then we pray this way. This is the answer. This is why I was going to this psalm because, because this is our answer as Christians. This is where we go when we're not feeling Joy. We learn from this ancient songwriter, and I'll tell you, it probably is King David that's writing this. Most probably based on where it falls in the Psalms. And King David is a lover of God, but he's feeling lost and he's experiencing mourning instead of joy and he wakes up one one day and he's in the dark and he can't feel God anymore and so he runs to God in prayer, but there is no refuge and so he has to take his prayer to another level and he says, I'm in darkness. He's brutally honest with himself and with God. He says, I'm in the dark. I can't find you, God. I don't have that relationship. I don't have that joy that I used to have and so he prays for light and he prays for truth and Jesus is the light of the world. And His Word is truth. And He knows where He needs to go. He needs to go to the altar. And for us, that's the cross. And the whole reason He's praying this prayer and the whole reason He wants to go here is because He wants to find His joy again. He wants to go to God, His exceeding joy. This is a prayer about joy and rediscovering joy again. And this is the antidote to the normal Christian experience of refinding joy in God when you're beleaguered at work, when your family is falling apart, or when cancer is crushing you, is this where you go for joy? Do you go to God in prayer, even when it seems like you're in the dark and He doesn't seem all that close? Do you go back to the altar? Do you go back to the cross, to the joy of God's mercy and forgiveness and justification and sanctification and everything that Jesus did for us on the cross? That is the beginning point of our joy. Everything that Jesus came to teach and to show and to live and to die for you is where we go as Christians to rediscover our joy. That's where the first embers, that's where the first match flame of our joy is, is at the cross. And so then where does it go when you find that little flame, when you find that little matchstick of joy, when you go back to the cross and you remember your sin and you remember that Jesus has forgiven it and that you are sanctified and you are justified and that he is for you and not against you, and nothing can snatch you out of his hand, then the result of that, if you keep reading here, it results in worship. Look what he writes. He says, And I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. The culmination of joy found in God is worship. And so this is neat, because you come on a Sunday morning, maybe you 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 wonder, Like why do we sing these songs and why does everybody seem so happy and they're praying and they're you know they're praising and and we're singing to God and and, and where's that all coming from? That's where it comes from. It's coming from Christians who find their joy in God and and when you find joy in something, what do you do? You worship it, right? I mean, we're built this way to worship the thing that we enjoy. It doesn't matter what it is. You can be driving in your car. Like stick with me here. I want to create a feeling in your heart. Okay, so you can be driving in your car. And a song will come on from, like, the 80s or the 70s, okay? I'm not, I don't want to... Or even the 60s, maybe, for some of you. <laughs> right? And this song will come on, and it's like that teen anthem that just... you so much connected to that song. And, and what do you do when you hear that song come on, right? Turn up the volume. Maybe start singing along. And there's that feeling in your heart of you just sort of celebrating that song and what it brings in your mind and and that's worship you're worshipping that feeling of joy that comes from that song right or you're at you know for the for the sports fans right you're you're at a game and you're watching you know You're watching uh, the Green Bay Packers or whatever, like this afternoon, with Aaron Rodgers. And I'm kind of divided on Aaron Rodgers right now because I love Aaron Rodgers and I hope he has a lot of touchdowns, but I'm also playing against a guy in my fantasy league who has Aaron Rodgers on his team. So I'm kind of hoping that Aaron Rodgers really (laughs) chokes today, but anyway, so really divided soul. You want to talk about a divided soul? Anyway, so... But you're at a sports game, right? And, you know, it's the bottom of the ninth, and they've got to score the goal and hit the touchdown or whatever it is that they do in sports, right? It doesn't matter. I'm mixing them all up. Because it doesn't matter what sports game you're at. And, and your team scores the goal or the touchdown or the basket or whatever, and the whole crowd erupts, right? And you are filled with joy. And what do you do with that joy? You celebrate, right? The wave starts going around the stadium. And you start worshiping. That's how a Christian feels about God. So you come in on Sunday morning and you're thinking about what Jesus did on the cross and your sanctification and your justification and you've been set free and you are so filled with joy and it's just, it's worship. That's what it is. Oh, no, it's got a little bit of life in it. And so, and that's where the psalmist goes. That's where he goes with this, is that he goes back to the altar, and he goes back into the presence of God to find his exceeding joy in God, and then he says, I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. And the culmination of, of joy found in God is,